We're going to, uh, we've been talking about the family and dealing with marriage and all of that for a number of weeks, so I thought I owed one to our single friends to talk to singles this morning, and so if you're married, please bear with us, and uh, I trust there will be something for you in it as well, but I do want to focus on some practical advice for singles, and my text this morning is going to be in... 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I can't read the entire chapter, but I want to read uh, verses 1 through 9 and then verses 25 through 40, and again, it's too much to comment on those verses uh, detail-wise, but it does give us a backdrop for what I'm going to say. Paul writes, now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good For a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, let each, or each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am, However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And then jumping down to verse 25, now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none, those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. The one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy in both body and spirit, but the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, 
but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. And then this next section, if you have an ESV, it's translated differently and it reflects the different viewpoints of the commentators and I'm not going to be able to uh, expound on these verses here today, but uh, some uh, treat it as if it is a man toward his fiance, others a father toward his daughter who is mar- of marriageable age, as the New American Standard does. It says, if any man thinks he's acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter is in italics, that's their take on it, If she is past her youth, and it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then, both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. When uh, John Wesley, the well-known founder of the Methodist Church, was a 32-year-old missionary in the state of Georgia here in the U.S., he fell in love with a beautiful 18-year-old girl, but he was torn between whether or not he should remain celibate all of his life or get married to her, and a friend suggested that he draw lots to determine the will of God, and Wesley agreed, so on one slip of paper, the friend wrote, Mary. On a second slip, he wrote, Think not of it this year. And on the third slip, he wrote, Think of it no more. Well, Wesley closed his eyes and reached in and drew out the slip that said, Think of it no more. And he was devastated, but the young woman married someone else, and Wesley was heartbroken over that. Fifteen years later, uh, Wesley married a wealthy widow, but the marriage was really a disaster. He admitted later he did not marry for happiness, and he did not find it. Um, He was gone a lot, and when he was home, he wasn't an easy man to live with. His wife eventually left him, And when she later died, Wesley didn't even know of her death until days after the funeral. So just share that story to ask the question that many have. How do you know whether God wants you to marry or remain single? And if to marry, who is the right person? Uh, We know at the very least a Christian should only marry another Christian But beyond that, again, there are many wondering, well, how can I know God's will on this really, really important decision? So this morning, I want to give some practical advice to singles based on Paul's word here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, He was writing to a society much like ours, very pagan, sex 
oriented, sex-saturated society. There were problems with immorality, even in the Corinthian church, as we read back in chapter 5. Apparently, some in the church, in reaction to the sensuality of the um, culture, had said that the celibate life was the truly spiritual life. And uh, even some who were married were saying that it was more spiritual to abstain from marital relations. And so Paul addresses these and some other issues in this chapter. And as I said, I'm not going to be able to deal with it verse by verse. But I want to give an overview of what I think his main idea is. And that is that singles should pursue a, a path that leads to the greatest devotion to Christ and his cause. And of course, that principle applies to every Christian, not just singles, in that uh, every Christian should ask the question, well, how can I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Matthew 6.33. But especially it's Paul's word to singles, and so I want to offer three thoughts here this morning for singles. I think the first thing Paul shows is if you can remain single and be devoted to the Lord in purity, then stay single. That's what he's saying. Marriage is is God's plan for most people, but he clearly has gifted some to remain single so they can serve him without all of the encumbrances that necessarily go with marriage. And in verse 1, when Paul says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, he is using a figure of speech there. It's called metonymy for all you English majors. Um, But what it means is it's using something that is representative of something to represent the whole. So he means uh, by touching a woman, he's referring to the sexual relationship in marriage. And he's saying it's good for a, a person not to marry. That's the meaning of it. And he restates the same idea down in verses 7 through 9. And then he discusses it more at length at the end of the chapter, which we read in verses uh, 25 to 40. He is not commanding uh, the single state uh, because he recognizes it's a gift which God only gives to some. But he's strongly commending it uh, because Paul had that gift, that ability And uh, he sees that it will provide a number of advantages to the one who is able to remain single, be pure, and uh, serve the Lord. Now, I think that probably needs to be said more often, this entire point, because sometimes in the church, I think we communicate sometimes to singles, especially maybe older singles, you know, hey, I know a nice person you could meet, hint, hint, you know, and we put pressure on them to say, well, something must be wrong with them if they're single, and uh, why don't you meet a nice young lady or or man or whatever if they're getting up in years? And uh, Paul here teaches rather that it is a good thing to remain single if you can be pure in thought and deed and devoted to the Lord in his service, there are many opportunities that you have that are closed to married people. And um, 
to say that is not in any way to deprecate marriage. Paul and other New Testament writers commend marriage. Uh, but it is, again, just a matter of how God has gifted that particular person. Let me mention at least four advantages of being single that I see here in our text. Um, first of all, singles have more freedom in difficult times. Uh, interpreters differ on this issue, and I can't be dogmatic, but I'm sensing that in verse 26, when Paul says, in view of the present distress, he is sensing an impending time of persecution on the church. It may have been the one that Nero unleashed. Uh, I don't know exactly which one, but in a time of persecution, it is easier to be single than it is to be married. And Paul is quick to add in verse 28, the one who marries hasn't sinned. He's just saying, I want to spare you some trouble. And, um, you know, it's one thing if you are imprisoned or martyred as a single person. I mean, that's sad, that's difficult. But your family, your, your wife or children or husband or children are not affected. But it's much more difficult if you have a family and you are thrown into prison or you are persecuted or uh, killed for your faith. And so being single just means in a time of stress you have more freedom. Uh, related to that, the second point is that singles have more flexibility to go to difficult places with the gospel. Um, maybe you sense God's call to take the gospel somewhere where there's not freedom no religious freedom. Maybe there will be intense opposition to your message. Uh, you may want to remain single because it's just easier to go into those places as a single person than with a family. Now, there are some notable exceptions to that. Uh, Don Richardson, years ago, took his wife and infant son into Irian Jaya, and they went to the cannibalistic Sawi tribe, very dangerous place to go. And uh, if you've not read his story in Peace Child or seen the movie, it's definitely worth uh, your time. Um, they not only survived the wars that were going on between the Sawi and other tribes and so on, and they themselves survived not becoming victims of that vicious tribe. Uh, but they saw most of the tribe come to Christ. And that infant son, Steve Richardson, is now the uh, director of the Pioneers Mission, of which many of you are familiar and some of our people are on the staff of Pioneers. Um, so that was a great exception. Another one is the story of Elizabeth Elliot. Many of you are familiar with how she, after the... Um, primitive tribe in South America, murdered her husband and four other young missionaries. She took her young toddler daughter and moved into that tribe and shared the Lord with them, and, along with Steve's uh, saint's sister, Rachel, and um, saw many in that tribe come to Christ. So it's not an ironclad rule, but it is to say it's much easier to maneuver if you're just by yourself and able to go into those places under the radar than to move there with an entire family. A third advantage of singles is that they have more freedom to devote themselves 
fully to God and his service, which Paul says down in verses 32 to 35. Now, marriage necessarily comes with a lot of responsibilities. Uh, and those responsibilities take time and effort that you could have given to serving the Lord in some way or to uh, devoting yourself to Bible study and prayer and those kinds of things. Um, now, both married people and singles can be fully devoted to the Lord, of course. But what Paul is arguing, as I understand it, is you take two cases, one family, one single, The single has more time on his hands than the family is going to have to devote himself or herself to the things of the Lord. Or if you have a ministry that requires long periods of travel away from a family, that could create a tremendous strain on the family, and it might be better if you were single. I have read many missionary biographies and Stories of some of the great names in mission history. C.T. Studd uh, gave up cricket for Christ, gave up a fortune that he inherited in England, and went to the mission field. But the problem was his wife, during her late in life, was too ill to travel. And so Studd said goodbye, and he went to Africa And during the last 11 years of her life, they were only together for a week or two. Uh, I think he neglected the poor lady. Uh, David Livingston is another one, and he left his wife and children because he was pioneering in the interior of Africa before there was any way in there, no roads, no way to get into those places. And his wife and children up in England suffered terribly as a result of his absence. And that was in a day, too, before there was communication. So they would go years without knowing whether he was alive or dead. Uh, It seems like he, uh, again, neglected his family. Another story. For over 15 years, Bob Pierce, who was the founder of World Vision... Uh, was away from his family an average of 10 months every year. His daughter, who tells the story, said that often he would come home for a visit and not even unpack his bags because he was just there for a brief time, and then he was off somewhere, usually in Asia. And uh, he used to say, I've made an agreement with God that I'll take care of his helpless little lambs overseas if he'll take care of mine at home. Uh, That wasn't a very good arrangement because his marriage ended in divorce. Uh, One of his daughters committed suicide, and the daughter who wrote the uh, story, it's a very moving book, uh, had to struggle through a lot of emotional trauma due to her uh, father neglecting the family. And God accomplished a lot through all of those dedicated men Uh, But I believe that their witness was marred by their neglect of their family. And I've read other heart-rending stories of missionaries who dump their kids in a mission school when they're just uh, grade school, and the children suffer terribly from it. If I were going to the mission field with young children, my kids would stay with me. That would just be a non-negotiable Uh, I'm going to have my kids with me during those young years when they need 
a father and a mother. Now, a single person then has those advantages. One final one, singles have more freedom to give sacrificially to the Lord's work. Uh, In case you haven't noticed, raising a family is expensive. And uh, single people don't have all of the things that you have to provide in a family. And so given that they're making equivalent salaries, they have more money they can free up and give to the Great Commission. Uh, You don't have to buy a large home to house a, a, a growing family. You don't have to pay for all of the food and the clothes and the medical bills and the braces and the college education and everything else that families uh, have to provide for their children. And so a single person has just got some freedom there to devote more to give to the Lord's work if they are faithful stewards of what God has entrusted to them. Now maybe at this point you're thinking, wow, with all those advantages, then why get married? Well, Uh, Again, being single is a gift from God, as Paul says in verse 7, and not all have that gift. Paul wishes everyone did, but he recognizes everyone doesn't. And so from our chapter here, as well as from some other scriptures, we learn that being married has other advantages. Uh, The one that Paul mentions right off in the start of this chapter is that marriage provides a God-given outlet for our normal human sexual desires. And Paul here is very practical. In verse 2, he says, Because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. Notice, man, woman. Uh, It's no same-sex thing and no polygamy. Uh, In verse 9, He adds, if they don't have self-control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn, meaning burn with lust. And I think what that means is if you're single and you're just fighting a constant daily battle with sexual temptation, you probably don't have the gift of celibacy, and you need to start praying for a wife. Uh, Paul is not saying that it is impossible for a single person to be morally pure because later in 1 Corinthians 10.13, he says, with every temptation, God provides the way of escape so that you can remain pure in thought and deed before the Lord. But I think the point is, uh, and I related to it when I was single, it it can become just an all-consuming daily battle to the point where it's hard to think of much else. And I believe that Paul is saying there the best solution isn't to pray for more self-control, it's to pray for a wife. And that God gives that legitimately as an outlet for our sexual desires. Now, of course, marriage doesn't end temptation. You still have to exercise self-control, but... Marriage provides that God-given relationship for the sexual desires. A second advantage of marriage is that it provides companionship to loneliness. And here I'm going all the way back to Genesis where you have this situation. Here is a man in a perfect 
environment. He has never sinned. He is in total fellowship with God as much as a creation can be with the Creator. Uh, the world is perfect, and God says in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Um, if you're single and you can reasonably control loneliness, remain single. Uh, I think that's fine uh, through Christian fellowship. I was single and I was in my mid-twenties and uh, my dear mother gave me a book called Single and Satisfied. And uh, I put it on my shelf. I never read the book. Um, <laughs> But I admit that even though I had many Christian friends, I was single and unsatisfied. And uh, I didn't necessarily agree with the thesis that every single can be satisfied because of Genesis 2. And so I used to go back and pray Genesis 2 to the Lord, saying, Lord, your word says it is not good for the man to be alone. Please provide a helper suitable for me. And that was my prayer because I was lonely. A third advantage of marriage is that it's the God-given context to raise up godly children. And children need that influence of a godly father and, and loving father and mother. Uh, they need to see the love of Christ demonstrated between husband and wife and, of course, parent to children. Um, so they'll grow up to love and serve the Lord. I've always loved kids, even when I was single. I loved kids. I lived with a family for a while, three months, that had three young children. And I just enjoy kids and always have and still do. And uh, now my kids are grown, and I still miss the time when they were living at home. And uh, it's just a special time of life. And if you love kids and you want to have your own kids, you probably don't have the gift of celibacy. Uh, if I know that right now there are, I read this week, there are 19,000 kids in our Arizona foster care system. So if you're childless and you want kids, boy, there's 19,000 of them to pick from. And those kids are a ministry to be sure, but they need Christ. And a home, a loving home, is the environment to, to rear those kids. And, of course, adoption is another option. But marriage is the place to raise up godly children. And then, finally, marriage and children provide opportunities to witness to those without Christ. And, of course, singles have opportunities for witness. I'm not suggesting they don't. But as we've seen in our earlier studies... A husband and wife are to reflect Christ in the church. And a loving family is, is a witness as uh, unbelievers see a difference in the way that parents deal with their children in a kind and loving way. And uh, there's a different thing there. I, I've shared with you a story when we were uh, visiting the Great Wall with our daughter and son-in-law several years back. Um, it was late in the afternoon, and we had a private vehicle rented to take us back. And the buses were all gone, and a young couple came up and said, could we ride with you in this van? It was kind of tight, but we said, okay, sure. And they got in, and they were from Russia. 
And they made the comment on the way back that we've been watching you during the day. We've seen you. And it it just stood out to them the way that uh, my son-in-law was dealing with his family in a loving way because in Russia, she said, most of our fathers and husbands are drunk and mean and abusive. And just the difference. They, they saw it right away. Opportunity for witness. So that's um, another advantage of uh, a family, especially if you go into a, a foreign context, mission context. You're going to stand out in the culture as different. So if you marry, it shouldn't be just for self-centered fulfillment and that sort of thing, but rather, you know, to serve the Lord. I think we can fall into the trap of getting married, settling into suburbia with a house and and two cars in the garage and all of our recreational equipment and everything. And yeah, church for weekends when you're not out doing something else. And that's a worldly mindset. That's That shouldn't be our mindset. Whether we stay at home in the, in the U.S. or whether we go overseas in mission, uh, getting married should be a, a reason because you can serve Christ better as a family and as a married person. And all Christians, as I said, are to seek first God's kingdom and righteousness. And um, Jesus said, if you, if you live for yourself, you'll lose. If you live for his kingdom, you win. You'll gain much. A second point I'd like to make then is, if you're not gifted for celibacy, then pray and look for a godly spouse. Uh, I used to get frustrated with Paul's words in verse 9 when I was single, let them marry. And I thought, yeah, that sounds easy. But as you know, there's a world of living in those three words. How do I do that, Paul? You know, other than a lot of prayer. And um, so I'm going to share with you some things here that I don't necessarily have chapter and verse for. I hope that like the Apostle Paul down in verse 25, as I give my opinion, that I'm one who by the mercy of, of the Lord is trustworthy. Now, Paul, when he wrote that, of course, was inspired, and I'm not. So I'm just going to give you five suggestions on how to go about praying and looking for a godly spouse. The first one is this. When you're single, focus on personal growth in godliness. That should be your focus. You can use your time as a single person to sit around feeling lonely and depressed and and self-pity and all of that. Or you can go to another extreme and surround yourself with people all the time to fill the void. I'm suggesting that some of your single time, God has given you to spend extra time in the Word and in prayer and in reading Christian books and going deeper with the Lord in a way that you can't when you do have family obligations. Um, And uh, if you do that, if you use your time well and go deeper in the Lord, you'll be responsible enough and prepared enough when the Lord brings the right person. Sometimes Christian young men, for example, say, you know, what are you looking for? Oh, I want a godly wife. Well, are you a godly man? You know, because you got to become the kind of person, the kind of person you want to marry would want to marry, right? 
If you want a godly wife, she's not going to want an ungodly young man. So you better be going deeper with the Lord and walking with him and judging your sin and being uh, developing purity and thought and so on. Or when a godly young woman comes around, she's going to say, no, thanks. I'm looking for a godly young man. I was single and in my mid-20s, and I was in the uh, Coast Guard on active duty in the Bay Area of San Francisco, Northern California area. And as you probably know, that area has a lot of temptations. It's up there with Las Vegas and just being Sin City. And uh, I was very lonely. I was living in the barracks on the base. And I couldn't stay there at night because all these guys had their boom boxes going loud. And, and it was just too distracting. So every night I would take my Bible and a Christian book and either go to a coffee shop or over at the University of California library that wasn't too far away. And I would sit there and I would read the Bible and I would pray and I would read Christian books. And then on my way back to the base, there was a place along the waterfront that I would just pull off my car and and sit there looking out over the water and praying. And it was a very lonely time in my life, but I'm thankful that I didn't succumb to all of the temptations of the flesh that were available there, and I was much better off just spending that time with the Lord. So focus on personal growth and godliness. Secondly, and I hope this is um, a no-brainer, but uh, never consider marriage to an unbeliever. Just burn that into your thinking. It is never God's will to become unequally yoked with a non-Christian in marriage. And I don't know why, but for some reason... It's usually Christian young women who fall for a nice, they're always nice, unbeliever. You know, and oh, well, he's promised to go to church with me, and da-da-da. Don't fall for that line. I don't care how nice he is, if he is not committed to Jesus Christ, if he is not denying himself daily and following Christ, you're going to be living with a self-centered person. And it isn't going to work. And he's not going to want to rear your children uh, in the Lord. And your devotion to Christ is going to be hindered. Just don't do it. A third piece of advice is guard your moral purity. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, Paul says, flee immorality. And he goes on to say how your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. You're not your own. And therefore, he says, glorify God in your body. You know, we think of glorifying God spiritually somehow. Paul says, do that with your body by keeping your body pure for the Lord. In that same chapter, he says, if you even have uh, sexual relations with a harlot, you become one flesh with her. And so there is something about the sexual union, even in a one-night stand, that creates a false sense of intimacy. And in dating relationships, it just messes up everything. It is not God's will. And it creates guilt. Uh, It creates the risk of STDs. It defiles a brother or sister in Christ, assuming you're marrying, or I mean, you're dating a believer. And if you're not, your testimony just got shot. 
And uh, Paul says very clearly in the first five verses we read here today that the sexual relationship is proper in marriage, but only in that marriage covenant. Now, if you want to be morally pure in this sex-saturated society we live in, you have to plan for it. It won't happen accidentally. You know, if you're going to visit the Grand Canyon, you have to plan for how you're not going to fall over the edge. Because if you walk right up to the edge and are not careful, bingo, you're gone, you know. Uh, You have to make plans. And morally, if you want to guard your purity, you have to plan for it. I Garrison Keeler on the old Prairie Home Companion show used to have the pastor in Lake Wobegon say to young people he was counseling, uh, if you didn't want to go to Minneapolis, why'd you get on the train? In other words, if you didn't want to end up in bed, why did you start the process that leads toward it? And let me just be honest as a guy speaking to guys. If you're going out on a date thinking you would like to get involved physically. Maybe you you realize, I can't cross the line. I don't want to go that far. But you want to do something, you're you're sinning. You're just on the wrong mindset. Your mindset should be, I'm going out with a sister in Christ. And I want to be pure. And I want to build her up in the Lord. And if the Lord develops a relationship that leads to marriage, wonderful. But your aim should be purity and and a relationship with a sister in Christ where you treat her as you would treat your own sister, not to indulge your lust. So plan for moral purity. And then a fourth suggestion is study godly character qualities so that you know what you're looking for in a mate. You know, if you're going to go out and shop for a new car, most of us uh, would do some research to figure out, is this thing a lemon? What's the repair record on this car? What's the maintenance kind of uh, problems going to be? Uh, You're investing a lot of money, and so you check it out. Well, I've seen young people who don't give any thought to what they're looking for in a mate. I've seen many Christian young women who end up marrying guys who are abusive because they were looking for some macho, good-looking guy, and that was what their standard was, but they had no concept of godly character qualities. And let me just say to my sisters, single sisters, if a guy does not treat you with respect and gentleness and self-sacrificing love, run. Just say thank you, no thank you. And don't go there because you're not going to change him. You're not going to change him. Maybe Christ will, but you're not the guinea pig in that equation. You need a man who is uh, demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. And so I would encourage you to study Galatians 5 there. The deeds of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit. Avoid the deeds of the flesh. Look for someone with the fruit of the Spirit. Now, of course, no one is perfect, but we're on a trajectory. And you can tell if a guy is developing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control or not. And then my final suggestion is this. Be wise, but don't be super spiritual. And what I mean is 
God does expect you to pray and to wait on him and to study his word and all of that. But he also expects you to use appropriate means for finding a godly mate. Sometimes I think we pray that God will rain down manna and God is saying, plow the field and plant some seeds, you know? I, I mean, come on. The manna was a special thing, and uh, that happened once. But for centuries, people have been plowing the field and planting seeds and harvesting a crop. And what I'm saying is this. There is nothing wrong with putting yourself in a situation where you may meet a godly uh, prospective mate. Uh, It may be the church college group. Now, that shouldn't be your only reason for going there. Dan is a wonderful teacher, and you should be going there to uh, hear God's word. But let's face it, that's a great place to meet a godly mate or a Christian campus group or go to a singles conference for Christians. Or I'll say this, carefully use an online dating service if you must. And I use the word carefully uh, emphasizing that that can be disaster, but um, that's something God has given us these days. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that using it is wrong. Also, just on the side of not being super spiritual, godly character is primary, but there's nothing wrong with being physically attracted to the person. In fact, if you're not, I would say, Uh, I'm not sure about this. Uh, You know, read the Song of Solomon. And those lovers aren't extolling one another's spiritual qualities. Uh, They are attracted to one another. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. God made us that way. And uh, so don't think, oh, no, I'm not spiritual because I am not attracted to this person. Um. Also, don't be so super spiritual that you overlook the factor of liking the person. I think a big part of love is, I just like her. You know, I like hanging out with her. I don't have to do anything special. Uh, I like her personality. She's pleasant and easy to talk to and get along with and all of that. And you should accept the person as is without major remodeling projects in mind. Um, their personality may get sanctified, but it isn't going to change, you know, the basic personality. And so you have to accept the person as they are. Uh, one other piece of advice is seek the counsel of those who know you well, including your parents. And even if your parents aren't believers, they know you. And they do often have a lot of wisdom. And... Uh, I'm not saying you should always go with their counsel. Sometimes you have to go against it, but you should only do that really prayerfully, carefully weighing what they say very heavily. So, first point, if you can remain single and serve the Lord and be pure, do it. Second, if you're not gifted for celibacy, pray and look for a godly mate. And then finally, let me just say that marriage is not the final solution to your problems. God is. Um, You know, marriage is a wonderful gift from God. Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 12, the writer exclaims, An excellent wife, who can find 
for her worth is far above jewels, and the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And I just can say, you know, next to giving me salvation in Jesus, God giving me Marla is the next greatest gift, and then my kids and grandkids come right in line behind that. But So family is wonderful, but at the same time, if God were to take my family, God has got to be the center. God has to be the center of our lives, not all those other things and people. And uh, if he's not at the center, then marriage is going to create more problems for you than, than it solves. And without the Lord at the center, you've got two self-centered people vying for some sort of negotiated peace, kind of like nations that are squabbling. Uh, and you're expecting the other person to meet your needs, and that never works. Put God at the center of your life, and then you have a platform for a happy, God-glorifying marriage as he brings you a mate with the same commitment, and then you can joyfully follow him together. A psychologist named William Marston once asked 300 people, what do you have to live for? What do you have to live for? Nine out of ten said they were simply waiting for something to happen. A better job, a new house, a trip, a vacation, so on. And so they're just kind of living in limbo while they're putting off an uncertain future. Christians, I think, we can have the mentality that Paul mentions down in verses 29 to 31. And that is, you know, time is short and eternity is just ahead. And our focus should be on the Lord and his kingdom. And if he graciously brings us uh, the blessings of a Christian marriage, enjoy that thankfully. Use it as a platform for serving the Lord. But don't put your hope in a family for, for your fulfillment. Put your hope in the Lord. And whether you're married or single, your, your focus should never be self-fulfillment, but rather the issue should be, how can I have the greatest devotion to Christ and the greatest devotion to his kingdom? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you've never met Jesus as your personal Savior, that is your greatest, immediate, most pressing need because you're one heartbeat away from standing before God in your sin and facing judgment. God mercifully has provided forgiveness of sin and eternal life to every person who will put their trust in his son Jesus and what he did in dying for sinners on the cross. And it's a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't merit it. All you can do is come and say, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And the word of God promises that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, I pray for any here who may not know you, that you would work the miracle of regeneration in their hearts. I pray, Father, for all my single brothers and sisters, that they would be pure, devoted to you, 
sensing your guidance and will in their lives and a most important decision whether to remain single or get married and if married to whom and that we would see many generations of godly families raised up with children who are loved and cared for who grow up to found Christian homes should you tarry. And I pray, Lord, if any are here and they're overwhelmed with guilt, that they would take refuge in the cross and in your mercy and that they would seek out help that they might be pure in thought and deed before you. We thank you for your word that is so practical and pray that it would guide us in everything in Jesus' name. Amen.